pleasing to God. That's one of the things, when I looked at verse 5 and 6, that's one of, the, one of the things that just jumped out at me right away. Enoch pleased God. So I'm going to remind us of what we've already looked at so far in this chapter. What is biblical faith? Um, this is my definition. If you find it lacking, we can talk about it. You're probably right. Uh, I'm not perfect at coming up with these. Faith is believing what God has revealed in his word as absolutely reliable truth. So what does it mean to live by faith? Well, that means to make conscious daily decisions based firstly on what God has revealed in his word rather than on feelings, uh, air quotes around reason, or the consensus of the unbelieving world in which we live. Um, so let's look at Hebrews 11, 1 through 7. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him or... Um, in keeping with you know, this, this uh, idea, uh, he has said approach um, or draw near to God. He said that consistently uh, through chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10. And so I don't want to miss that, that through Jesus as our high priest, we may approach God. And then this, it's not just that God exists, right? But it's that the God of the Bible exists. There is a vast difference between saying little g, God exists, Right? There's a huge difference between saying, I am seeking God, and I am seeking God according to the Bible. Big difference. Tons of people will say they seek God, and they have no clue who he is, and they don't actually seek him at all, right? So it's not just that you believe that God exists, little g, somehow, you believe that the God of the Bible exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith... Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So, what do we learn from these three first, these, these three men of faith uh, that uh, the author of Hebrews gives us as first examples? Well, one, we consistently see Jesus reflected in their lives. Um, this is good, right? Because if they have the same faith as we do, and we're supposed to re reflect Jesus in our life, then it makes sense that he would highlight the ways in which people reflected Jesus in their lives, if he's going to highlight their faith. Uh, secondly, we see the gospel preached. Uh, although these, none of these people came to God by a full understanding in their lifetime of the gospel, they came on the basis of the, the merit of righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. And they came on the basis of faith in God's word. So there is a sense in which they come to him through Christ uh, in the sense that Jesus is the word of God. Um, we see the result of our faith because our faith is the same as theirs. And so when we see those benefits in their life, we can remind ourselves, and I think this is a big part of what the author of Hebrews is doing in this chapter, we can remind ourselves because he was reminding his church 
of all the great advantages that come to those who draw near to God by faith. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him, draws near to him, must believe that he exists, that he is, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So how does Enoch point to Jesus? Um, I want you to go ahead before, I'm not going to read it right away, but before uh, I talk about these ways that Enoch reflects Jesus, I want you to put your finger in uh, your Bible at Genesis chapter 5, because we're going to look at what Genesis 5 says uh, about Enoch. Um, I think it's really important that we see the the uh, where does uh, the author of Hebrews get this phrase um, that before he was taken he was commended as one who pleased God because Jesus pleased God and he walked with God uh, in in Hebrews he says before uh, before he was taken away by God before God took him up to heaven. Uh, Hebrews and, uh, and Genesis both tell us the same thing. They don't tell us that he died. So the understanding that we have is that he was taken alive into heaven. Uh, perhaps in a similar way as Elijah, there weren't any witnesses with Enoch. He just couldn't be found. They were looking. They couldn't find him. Um, and so, but in, but in Genesis, the wording that you have in your NIV, if you're reading the NIV, and I think most English translations are going to have some wording like this, Go ahead and uh, scoot forward to uh, 5, verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years. If you have an ESV, it'll just say walked with God. Uh, Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Uh, and so the, the, the big obvious difference between the way the Hebrews author quotes it and the way uh, uh, Moses wrote it is that the, the wording we have here is walked with God. It's just a generic walked with, right, in the original language, but there were implications. And so the, the, uh, the translators of the Septuagint, the early Greek translation uh, of, of the Old Testament, they rendered this uh, pleased. God. And not only here, it's a, it's a faithful translation in that they, they continue to translate the same uh, word used in context uh, of a person who is pleasing to God, who is obeying God, who had a relationship with God. So if you'd scoot forward to uh, 6 uh, verse 9, it says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was the righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. That underlying word is the same as it is in, in chapter 5 with Enoch. He walked with God. And the Septuagint translates it the same way. He pleased God. And so this walking with, uh, this pleasing God, are synonymous in this sense. When it's using the, 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 the word this way, and a righteous person, according to the Bible, walking with God, it carries the assumption they pleased God. The author of Hebrews is telling us that Enoch did this by faith, a faith that is like ours, right? So this idea of pleasing God and walking with God. Uh, in, when you look at the witness of Noah, and I'm not going to read a bunch of verses, but you see that Noah obeyed God in all of what God commanded him to do. 
We'll talk more a little bit about Noah next week, but, but here it's very clear that God was pleased with Noah and it was in connection with his obedience, whereas he was not pleased with the rest of the world because their thoughts were only evil all the time. Again, you can read that in Genesis chapter uh, 5 and 6. So this idea of pleasing God and walking with God, it absolutely is connected with obedience. If we were to look at all the passages about Jesus pleasing God, we could not divorce that from the fact that Jesus obeyed God. Can't separate it. But what I think the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us here, and the part that I want to make very clear to us, is that Jesus, in walking with God and pleasing with God, shows us the relationship that existed between Jesus and God and the relationship that we're being called into, right? First John Uh, John is writing to the church and he says, I want you guys to know that we have fellowship with God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and we want your fellowship to be with us. In other words, we want also you to walk with God and be pleasing to God because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want your fellowship to be like ours, which is with God and with Jesus Christ the Savior. So this pleasing with, uh, or pleasing and walking with God is absolutely connected to obedience, and yet um, it's not divorced from a relational aspect. In other words, you can't say um, to someone, uh, how do I walk with God? Somebody who has no conception of the gospel. And then your answer is, you have to obey him in everything he does. If that's your answer, you should check your salvation and your understanding of salvation, and then you should stop witnessing to people until you understand salvation. Right? Because if you put a load like that on somebody's shoulders, they will never know Christ. We do not come to God, we do not draw near by obedience, except obedience of the faith, to believe in the one who he has sent. That's what Jesus said. The thing that pleases God is for you to, to believe in the one he has sent. And he's talking about himself there. So this pleasing with walking with God cannot happen apart from faith. You can certainly obey the Bible apart from faith, but you cannot please God or walk with him apart from faith. And in pointing to this aspect of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus pleased God and walked with him, it gives us a basis for our faith as well. The only reason we can please God is our relationship with him through Jesus Christ. It is on the basis of his walking with and always pleasing God that we always please God. You understand? Because from day to day, you know this about yourself if you're honest, you fail terribly and I fail terribly from day to day. And yet, that doesn't take us away from God. Edith points us to Jesus because Jesus walked with God and Jesus was fully pleasing to God in every way. Enoch is commended as having pleased God, having walked with him, which he did by a faith which is just like ours. Then Jesus was taken up alive into heaven. And this may not seem like all that important of a similarity between Jesus and Enoch. But go with me for a second on this. Jesus, in a, yes, a glorified body, but a human body, is currently with God. This does all sorts of things. It corrects all sorts of ideas that people have about God. One, one generic uh, humanistic uh, way that people have about, or understanding that people have about God is that in the end, everybody will go to heaven. And it'll all be a spiritual thing. 
that right now we're on this body, we do evil things, but when we are just spirit, then we'll be like God and we'll get to be with him. The Bible doesn't teach that, friends. It simply doesn't teach that. Number one, the Bible says that where you, where you go when you die has everything to do with how you've lived this life and that your sin does affect your soul and your heart. Look at Romans 1, for goodness sake, 18 through 25. Your sin absolutely affects your heart, your soul, and your mind and your body. And where you prepare your soul or where you are working on your soul, if we can speak in a little bit of a generic way, Depends on how you live your life. As a Christian, when you trust in Christ and you live your life for obedience, you are, uh, you're gradually transforming, you're participating in the transformation of your spiritual character to be more and more like Jesus Christ when you obey on purpose. And as a sinner, when you continue to disobey God and reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, regardless of the fact that you also do some things that are in, in line with his word, you are building up wrath for yourself, Paul explains. Jesus was taken up alive into, into heaven. He was in a physical body when he went up to heaven and is with God. We too will be resurrected. We will have physical bodies and we will be with God alive. That was the original plan in the Garden of Eden, right? You go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve weren't just spirits walking with God. They were living spirits in living bodies walking with God. In a state of innocence, yes, but they were walking with God. And that is the return that we all hope for. That is part of that return that we, sorry, I went the wrong, wrong way. We will be taken up into heaven. We will be with him forever, and we will be with him in glorified human bodies. Um, this also really points to how Enoch's life preaches the gospel. Um, there's a couple of different ways in which Enoch does this, and this is why I wanted you to keep Genesis 5 in mind. Um, what's interesting to me is that the, the, the little bit, the couple of verses that we have about Enoch here is not drastically unlike the rest of the um, genealogy that we see listed. Uh, it says when he had lived 65 years, you can find the same phrase uh, with a different number of years, all throughout this, uh, this list of generations of oldest sons and their oldest sons. Um, but here, after, instead of saying uh, after he became the father of so-and-so, he lived another so-and-so years, with Enoch, we have the unique phrase, after he had um, become the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God, or walked with God, depending on your translation, 300 years. So he doesn't say he lived another 300 years, he says he walked with God 300 years. That phrase doesn't happen in any of the other genealogies. And it doesn't happen from the very beginning of his life. He lived 365 years, but he walked with God 300 years. So what does that tell you? That tells you that this man, Enoch, was born like every other person had been born. Their relationship with God was broken. When we look at Cain and Abel, we see a righteous and an unrighteous. And we might be tempted to think that from the beginning there's a righteous and an unrighteous. But with Enoch, we see that he came to faith in God at a point. Again, we know this because he lived for 65 years, then he became a father, and then he walked with God. 
and he walked with God for 300 years, not 365. Does that make sense? He was born in rebellion to God. It doesn't tell how he came to faith. It doesn't give us that much information. But it says that he was not walking with God by implication, and then that he began to walk with God, and he walked with God for 300 years. So Enoch's life preaches the gospel because it shows us that even from the very beginning, reconciliation of sinful man to holy God was part of God's plan. And that him being taken up into heaven was again part of God's plan. It isn't a fluke that there is a living Enoch and a living Elijah with God. It's not a fluke. That's God's plan. He shows us this in the beginning. Reconciliation has always been the plan. And Enoch shows us this. In the midst of a sinful and twisted generation, when God is saying of the world in general, just a few generations later when Noah was alive, the thoughts of men are evil continually. All the time, that's all he thinks of is evil. And a man who wasn't born walking with God began to walk with God, and he walked with him for 300 years. And, and Septuagint translators help us understand that means he was walking faithfully. He was pleasing God day to day, turning toward him in faith and repentance. What all do we know that God had revealed to, to Enoch? We don't. We can believe that at least what had come first, the fact that God creative, created, the fact that Adam and Eve fell in sin, the fact that Cain killed Abel, we can assume that, that Enoch understood all those things. Beyond that, we don't necessarily know. Anything, anything from Genesis 1 through 5, uh, that's what we know he knew. After that, we have no clue. But whatever it was he knew of God's revelation, it caused him to seek God because Enoch had a faith like ours. Faith that caused him to seek. Now, how should we understand walking with God and pleasing God? Again, we don't want to divorce this from obedience, but we also want to put it in its proper place. So this is the way I phrased it. Uh, walking with God is relational obedience. We desire to please him with our thoughts, our words, and our actions because he made himself known to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the reaction of the lover to the one who, uh, of the beloved to the one who does the loving. God loved us through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And when we heard it, and by faith believed it, we began to really desire to please him. That is where right obedience comes from. It is a reaction to the love of God poured out on us through Jesus Christ. Not separated from obedience, but as it's proper, there's a proper order here. Enoch also uh, illustrates for us the benefits of our faith. I'm going to kind of move through these quickly. We can walk with God and think relationally, right? I want you to, to think about that. Um, you know, when I read people like A.W. Tozer, he's especially convinced, convicting for me. Because if, when you read A.W. Tozer, Pursuit of God, um, and now I just started reading through the um, Attributes of God, even in describing the attributes of God, it is clear from his writing that he absolutely loves God as a person. 
there is real love that comes through in the pages of his writing for people. And while we, as I said before, as grown folks in the Lord, many of us, we understand that obedience is necessary, but we don't obey because obedience is necessary. That's not why. We obey because we love him. And we love him because he loved us. And he loved us because he loved us. So when we walk with, we can walk with God. I want you to think relationally. The obedience does come. But this, you know, when I was thinking through uh, this, the closest thing I have, and it falls short, is the same kind of way that we love our spouses. The, the same kind of way we love our spouses. We look at our spouse and we, we want to please them. Yes, we want peace in our marriage, so we, we can say that too. But we want to do something that's pleasing for our spouse. That's why we do those things. We don't do those things just so that our spouse doesn't leave us. And that's the part that I think I wanted to, to, to make clear to us. We don't obey God because we think he'll leave us if we don't. I would argue that the only one who has the ability to endure in faith and obedience throughout their whole life is the person who understands rightly that even if I fail, he loves me. If you're, and this happens naturally, so I don't want to scare you, but this happens that sometimes when we disobey, we feel we got to scramble and do a bunch of things to convince God to love us still. Now, I have any problem with somebody scrambling to obey and do extra things that are good. But that doubt, that moment of fear that says, oh, if I don't hurry up and obey quick, he's going to hate me. Or he's going to push me off to the side. Or I failed, so he loves me a little bit less. Listen to me. Even right in the moment when you sin, and let's make it ugly, when you sin and you saw it coming, and you sinned on purpose. If you came to God through Jesus Christ, even at that moment, he loves you. Let me tell you the evidence of that. Because his love is what leads you to repentance. His love is what allows you to see that it was sin. His love is the Holy Spirit in you, convicting you of sin in that moment, who says, that was wrong. And even though you wanted to do it, you know he's right, and you repent, and you're broken. God does not love you as a believer less or more because of your obedience. Are the things that we do pleasing to him? Yes, but it's not tied to his love. His love for us is made clear and perfect in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that never changes. Did Jesus stop dying for you because you told a lie? No. Did he say, I take it back when you have a hateful attitude towards your spouse? For whatever reason, no. We can walk with God because of faith. The faith that he has given us, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Don't forget that. We can live in such a way as to please him. Uh, And I I wanted to bring up uh, uh, a couple of verses to talk about here. Um, Well, I only brought these from Colossians. There's there's others. I I can show you my notes if you'd like to see a few more, but I think at least one is important here. Um, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and he says, for this reason, uh, the reason is 
Epaphras told in the gospel. They believed, they, and Paul heard about it. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So when we bear the good fruit we're supposed to in our lives, it is fully pleasing to the Lord. Let's contrast this with the righteousness in the Old Testament that Isaiah tells us is done apart from faith in God. And those righteous deeds that people do is filthy rags. I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you are coming to God, if you have come to God through Jesus Christ, then your good deeds are not filthy rags. They're wholly pleasing to the Lord. So we can please Him, we can live our life in a way that, that pleases Him, and we will taken, be taken up to be with Him forever. Um, I cited 2 Corinthians because it actually talks about a lot of these things that we're talking about here and these benefits of faith that we have. Uh, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. And notice what he says here, we're always confident. Remember that confidence at the end of Hebrews chapter 10? that confidence we have to draw near because of what he has done through Jesus Christ, that confidence that is uh, a characteristic of our faith. Our faith isn't a fingers crossed, hope it works out okay, but we know. We're always confident. It's because that faith that we have is of the same measure, uh, the same substance, is that promise that's going to be ours eternity when we have an eternal weight of glory before God. We live by faith. And what does he say here? We make it our goal to please him. God doesn't give us any commands, which in Christ are impossible. If God commands it in his word, and you're coming to him through faith in Jesus Christ, it's possible. Not just for you to please him when you do the right thing, but for you to make it your goal to please him. For that to be the purpose of your life. Also, we'll know him as he is, right? I'm talking about here where he says, you must believe that he exists. Remember, the underlying is that he is. So we don't want to divorce that from the true knowledge of who God is according to the Bible, right? The same one who told uh, Moses, I am. And in John, he says, unless you believe that I am, we will know him as he is. I'd argue that that's a now and an increasing until eternity. From 1 Corinthians 13, we now see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Or John writing in, in 1 John, Dear friends, we're now children of God. Or now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we'll be like him. We shall see him as he is. This is a true and a personal knowledge. Also, we're able to truly seek him. I want to remind you of something. Um, I don't know if, remember if I put this on the... Yeah, I did. So, in Romans chapter 3, and I forgot to put that it's also from Psalm 14, okay? That he's quoting from Psalm 14. But Paul writes, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. 
Now, Paul is talking about no one who in and of themselves seek God outside of the gospel. He's getting ready to break into faith and the gospel. And uh, in chapter 3, the, the way the apart from the law that you can uh, have the righteousness of God, right? Um, but here he says on his own, nobody can seek God. Friends, if you know God through Jesus Christ, you did not seek him out on your own. Right? The words of Jesus should be echoing in your mind here. No one comes to me except my Father draw him. But this is a real seeking. You, if you are sincere and you're seeking after God, that is a gift, a byproduct of the faith that was given to you. You genuinely seek God through faith. And we will be rewarded by him. Um, there's a lot of passages about reward, but again, I chose this one in First Thessalonians chapter 5. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us. Whether we are awake or asleep, that we may live together with him. So encourage one another and build each other up, just in, as in fact you are doing. Notice that he died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live together with him. This walking with, being with, relational aspect of pleasing God and walking with God is what I think Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, is highlighting here for us uh, when he mentions Enoch. What I want us to see, uh, and I think what he wants us wants his audience to see as well, what God wants us to see is that all these things happen through faith. None of these things are we responsible for in the sense of we need to find it somehow within ourselves to do. All of this happens because of the faith that God has given to us, remember Ephesians 2, in Jesus Christ, and it's all a byproduct of what he's done. That's, what, that's where our eternal security comes from. What Christ has done and what God has told us about what he's done. And even that gift of faith that he's given us to receive it. I want to encourage us to encourage each other like this. That we are truly, we're not, we're not living for a time when in the future we walk with God. We walk with him now. We don't see everything perfectly. We don't please him perfectly in the sense of everything we do. But we are pleasing to him all the time because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It has always been part of his plan to have us with him. Humanity with him. We will know him fully. Part of me wrestles with this, right? Because even though it says we'll know him fully, uh, even as now we're fully known, we also know that God is unlimited. So I don't really had to figure that, out, that one out together. Um, I, I believe it, and I hope you do too, but it's kind of amazing, isn't it? That you're going to know God without any flaws in your understanding and yet you're always going to be discovering him. I can't even imagine what that's like, but I can't wait to be there. And that, you know, the, the point that the author of Hebrews gets to here with Enoch is not, so obey for goodness sake, although we should. He says, you have to believe that he exists, that he is, and really seek 
him. So I would encourage you today, when you read the Bible tomorrow throughout the week, when you pray, when you serve somebody else, I want you to remember, seek God. Seek him first in everything. Part of the gift of faith is that we actually would seek him. And that that seeking, that looking, would not be a fruitless search. But that we'll find him and we'll know him as he is. As we come to the table, one of the things I love about the Lord's Supper is the relational aspect of it. In the, in the Old Testament, we saw covenants of salt. And we see people uh, saying, well, how can you do this? I think it's in, um, in Judges. How can you do this evil thing against these guys? I've had them in. I've given them food. The idea is we've established a relationship of peace. And so the Lord's Supper tells us a whole lot of things. But that's one of the things that it highlights as well. We are welcomed to the table of the king because of what Jesus Christ has done. Let's thank God for that. And we're going to pray, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to, um, we're going to sing Jesus is Alive. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all the gifts you have given us by faith. Thank you for the fact that we truly can walk with you as Enoch did. We have a fuller understanding than Enoch did. Um, and we're so grateful for the fact that you call us to faith in Jesus Christ and that you make all things possible through him as well. Lord, as we come to your table, I pray that we'll be reminded of this relationship that is possible with you through Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that anybody here who does not know you through Jesus Christ, that they will think on these things that you have communicated through your word. That they'll think on what the word says about you and what the word says about Christ, what the word says about sin and redemption. And that you will work out faith. That even today you'll be drawing them to a real relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And for those of us who know you, God, draw us ever closer. And help us to better reflect you by our thoughts, by our words, by our actions, especially by the way that we call others to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.